Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond on a Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Pick We are your hosts, John Otney Sean Lemmy and Colin Westman. I just feel like in any podcast we do, it's always got to be in in Colin Westman, right? It just sounds good because it's long. Didn't, didn't you know you were second, Sean? I'm first. Or <laughs> fucked up. That's, that's right. <laughs> Top ten Thursdays, you were first. Broke you your brain. It's like okay. So this is a new podcast. This is a movie podcast where every episode. Here's the theme. I'm pitching it to you now. Um, every episode, one of us, your host, will pick a movie. Um, we will have to watch it. No questions asked. We'll talk about it. Uh, very low concept, but high fun. All yeah, right. basically a successor to some kind of movie and Stream Police. God, you know what I found out is uh, not a name of a, uh, for a podcast recently, which would have been a perfect name if this was a streaming podcast. Stream Warriors is not taken. We could have been Stream Warriors, guys. We still could. What is that a reference to? To Dream Warriors. What, what is Dream Warriors? It's the third Nightmare on Elm Street. I just oh. watched the first seven because they dropped the first six on Shudder recently. And then I watched the seventh one that I rented. And then I don't want to watch Freddy vs. Jason again, so I'll probably just stop. But it would have been perfect. such a good fight. It, it's so good. It's like... It's like the slowest like, death metal. It is you a good fight. At least you gotta at least watch the fight. Yeah, I'll watch that later. I'll, I'll post it in the. You know, I'll post a link to it in this. How much of that movie is the fight? Just the end, but it's like it's a good fight. Like they don't cop out. You get to see like there's blades and knives going in and out of orifices everywhere. I feel like Jason gets thrown against like fifty walls. He gets thrown constantly. Freddy gets like his head chopped off. Jason gets a knife to the eye. It's beautiful. It's a thing of, of art. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about the classic film, 2013 Siege action thriller Olympus Has Fallen. Everybody knows you did the right thing on that bridge. Even the president knows. You gotta learn how to get back into the real world. Mr. President, we're ready for you. Our guests have arrived. I'd like to welcome you to the White House, sir. There's been an Let's go, move. Uh, does anyone know why we're watching Olympus Has Fallen? Sean, do you know why I picked Olympus Has Fallen? I think it's just because it has two sequels. It's 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 a it's a franchise. It exists still in 2019. Yeah, and that's crazy because the new one is coming out this year. Like Sean and I went to go see Crawl, the Gator movie, in theaters. And we saw a trailer for Angel Has Fallen. And we're like, what? This is... Wait, there's three of these. Like, it's bizarre. It's like if somebody told me, you're going to go see Stop Loss 2 or some... <laughs> like Or like The Commuter 2, whatever that Liam Neeson movie is. And I'd be like, what? That's a thing? I mean, it's more <laughs> like if you were seeing The Commuter 3. The Commuter 3. <laughs> well, it's like I do vaguely remember London Has Fallen... But if I recall, it was like a big bomb. At least I thought it was. I guess it wasn't. It must have done fine. 
I guess it was a it was a critical bomb. Like the critics yeah. hated it. Uh, they weren't too happy about this movie either. Uh, I was I was reading into that a little bit. Um, so basically, how I want to do this episode is I want to talk a little bit about the background of the film. I want to do a little bit of the story. We'll talk about some of the characters, and we'll talk about you know what we didn't like and what we liked, if anything. So that'll be an interesting part of the podcast. <laughs> so let's start with the uh, background. I feel like the first thing I have to address, the first thing that anyone thinks about when they think about this movie is the fact that it's a twin film. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Like an Armageddon deep impact situation. Exactly. This came out the same year as White House Down. Why does that happen? Like, this is such a specific thing, too. Let's have two movies where the White House is under attack. Does anyone have any theories as to why this happened? But yeah, the timing is weird because it's 2013. That's that's the start of Obama's second term. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it makes sense for White House Down because it has a very Obama-esque president. But this one just has like a generic white guy president, <laughs> like the kind you used to see star in movies in the 90s. So that kind of feels weird. Part of me wonders if it's like one studio catches wind of another studio doing like a movie like this. It's like, well, we have a similar idea to that because I'm sure there's like probably dozens of White House Siege script movies floating out in Hollywood. (laughs) It's like, let's produce the one we have just sitting around. And it seems like even though I think Olympus Has Fallen came out first, it seems like that would be the one where they'd be like, Hey, look! They're coming out with White House Down. Let's do ours, because I saw that this is these are first-time screenwriters: Crichton, Rothenberger, and Katrin Benedict. Um, also, when I when I see that this is a first script, it makes me think that these are like writers trying to cut their teeth, and they probably had like fifty scripts that they'd written, and they're submitting it all over the place, and then one finally got picked up, not because it's their best, just because it seems like it could sell. So I think they're probably throwing scripts everywhere. It gets picked up. The studio sees someone else who's making a White House movie. It's like, we got to get ours out first. The way you say throwing scripts everywhere, you make it sound like they just threw a bunch of scripts on the ground. Like there's a mailroom that's full of scripts, and they're just tossing it, seeing what sticks. Let's let's just do this one. Why not? Okay. And uh, so they they select this, and it's, it's produced by Millennium Films. Which is not a company I'd ever heard of. And it was weird because it just said Millennium Films. It wasn't like it said Warner Brothers and then Millennium Films or something. It just said Millennium Films. And I did a little research, and they are, or were, they're defunct now. They're out of business. (laughs) They went out of business in 2016. They're a subsidiary of New Films, which I've also never heard of, that produces primarily action films. But this is mostly its own self-contained little studio, and they did this, and they did the Expendables movies. Uh, and their thing is like we're like we do slightly modest budgets, like under under a hundred million, like between like twenty and seventy million, which is is like a lot. But for this kind of movie, it's not a lot. Like I think White House Down costs one hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, it probably looks a little better too. I'm sure we'll get into some of the effects work because when I hear this is like a 50, 70 million dollar movie, it's like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. That might actually sound a little high for what we got. Um, 
Okay, one more thing I want to touch on in the background of this movie is that it is an Antoine Fuqua movie who is a name that everyone knows because of Training Day, which I realize I have never seen. And Sean confessed to me you'd never seen it either, right, Sean? Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. Colin, but, yeah. Colin have you – sorry, for, for calling you out. <laughs> Colin, have you ever seen Training Day? I, I haven't. Um, oh, my God. With the three did of us, have never seen Training Day. Did he also do the Magnificent Seven remake? He did. He did, yeah. Because I know Sean's seen that. That's a hot turd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm kind of looking at his career, and it's it's weird because Training Day, it seems like, is is so revered and won awards. And aside from that, I see King Arthur, Shooter. I guess people like The Equalizer. Who does? Um, (laughs) I mean, they made a sequel, so. Well, they made a sequel to Olympus as well. Sequel to this piece of shit. So that's kind of sad that it's mostly middle-of-the-road movies since Training Day. Middle-of-the-road thrillers. I feel like these trend towards a older audience, like middle-aged to young dads. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought I should get you know address that. Because he is, he is a, a name that most people know, despite the fact that he really only has one hit. Um, and I don't really know if he has like a style or something that makes him special. Um it makes me wonder if Training Day was mostly the product of its writer. That was that the, the guy who did Fury, right? What's his name? Does anyone know that guy's name? Suicide Squad the guy, David did, Ayer. Yeah, it makes me wonder if like Training Day is mostly his thing because you know he wrote it, and Anton Fuqua is more of just kind of like a gun for hire. Also, probably the cast helps in in Training Day's case. Since- Denzel yeah. and Ethan Hawke are like two of the best actors of this generation. Cast probably isn't doing him any favors in Olympus Has Fallen, but we'll get into that. So let's talk a little bit about the story. I don't want to run down every beat. Okay, but, but wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I did, you, you guys got me on IMDb, and I looked up okay. Creighton Rothenberger okay. and Katrin Benedict. Okay. And I can add a little biographical information. They're a husband and wife writing team. Interesting. And Creighton and Katrin were writing this while Creighton was working at a financial services firm mm. in Philly. Wow. So this is like a... That's where I am right now. Collins in Philly. Philly Collins. <laughs> yeah. This is like a, a side passion of, of these guys, uh, and they turned it into a career, I guess. It doesn't look like they have any credits outside of uh, movies made by this fictional movie studio this studio that was probably like formed by some sort of crime syndicate to just like hide money and <laughs> yeah their, their only credits are these has fallen films and also the expendables 3 they both wrote on not to go off How many topic you think that movie has expendables which one Expendables three. I'm gonna assume they add. Writers. I'm gonna assume they add more writers with every movie. So I'm gonna go with four. So it's just like they keep adding more action stars to the poster. They're also adding more <laughs> writers to the poster. Yeah, that's why they're getting more better. Yeah. All right, how many, Sean? They only have. <laughs> they only have four writers, but they have five credits because Sylvester Stallone is credited twice. <laughs> Some bizarre WGA rule? Like, I don't understand. You could say screenplay by and a story by. Oh, the story. Because the story is really important. Okay. 
Wow. Five, that many people write, big muscles shoot guns, next page. <laughs> like, what is there? Big muscle stab knife. <laughs> uh, that, that sounds like a good Men read. get tired and sit down for a while to catch their breath. Do you think they do? Do you think they do table reads for the Expendable movies? <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I'd, I'd rather see that. that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather see that than actually watch the movie. See the Expendables 3 table read. Uh, but yeah, that's great to get that background. It, it, I feel like it really puts it into perspective as like, this was just like a fun thing a couple did that somehow uh, became a movie that has multiple sequels. Okay, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about the story. Just kind of like maybe, maybe like we'll get to the point of Jar Butler getting to the White House and then we'll maybe take a detour to talk about some of the cast or something. So... Does, who wants to take the lead on this story? Who's confident? Or do you guys want me to do it? <laughs> I think I got All it. All right, Sean. Sean. You don't have to be super detailed. Just kind of fill us in on the beginning of this movie and some of the stuff that happens. Christmas Eve, 18 months ago, uh, the Secret Service is transporting the president and the first lady and the first son on a snowy uh, Christmas Eve. I already said that. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know where my sentence was going to end when I started it. You pick things up a little bit. It's the first scene. And there is a, uh, a car accident and the, uh, the president's limo is going to topple over uh, onto an icy body of water below. And Gerard Butler, uh, who's like the head Secret Service agent, uh, makes the decision to uh, to yank President Aaron Eckhart out of the car uh, and let uh, let his let his wife uh, Ashley Judd from the '90s uh, <laughs> fall to her death. Uh, and then and then yeah, 18 months later, July 5th, which is actually like. 19 months later, but whatever. <laughs> uh, Gerard Butler. Uh, I can't remember his character. <laughs> it's Sean. It's Mike Banning. Mike Here, before you Banning. Before you go forward, I want to reflect on some of the stuff we've already touched on. Okay, okay. So in all the advertising I see for this movie, it says Mike Banning is disgraced from this event. Like it destroyed his career, basically. Now, right. when I see this sequence of this car uh, crashing, first of all, I have no idea what how what happened. I guess it's just bad weather. I'll accept mm-hmm. that. But then the no car sabotage. No sabotage. The car like is teetering on a bridge, and from the way it's shot, or maybe I'm just this way I remember, he really only had a good chance of saving the president. Like it seemed like the first lady was at an angle to where they couldn't even get to her. So it's like, yeah, well, wasn't there even maybe another Secret Service agent like trying to open the other door and he couldn't get it open? Yeah, so she's like trapped. So the fact that we're supposed to believe Mike 
banning is disgraced because his choice was either save the president or don't save the president is ridiculous because he couldn't get to the first lady. I mean, what was he supposed to do? If they you had made it... Even, I was going to say you could even put the blame on Aaron Eckhart because he was trying to save Ashley Judd too and fighting Gerard Butler off. If he had just let Gerard Butler yank him out of the car, maybe Gerard Butler would have had the time to get in there and save Ashley Judd's life. It makes me think of, and this is a really weird example, but The Dark Knight when Batman can either save Peggy Gyllenhaal or Aaron Eckhart. And <laughs> he saves Aaron Eckhart, but that's like he could have chosen either one. It's clear. That decision is clear. Where in this movie, it really seems like he could only save the president, and he does. And, of course, we go to Aaron Eckhart's slow motion. No! It always has to be oh, in yeah. slow motion. And then, like, yeah, and then we cut to July 5th, and Mike Fanning's got some boring, I don't know what he does, office job. And I, I guess he's disgraced because he did his job the best he could. It makes no sense. It's not like anyone else tried to do anything. There was, like, more Secret Service guys. I don't know. I just thought that yeah. was weird. I guess I kind of just assumed, I don't know, it was just, like, it wasn't really Gerard Butler's fault. It's just that... President Eckhart couldn't help but associate him with that night, and so it's just like a bummer having him around, so he fired him. It could be that, but here's something, and Sean and I were talking about this. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I think it is important to talk about this at some point. We have no idea how the president, Benjamin Asher, uh, feels about any of this. We never really figure out how he feels about Mike or how the event really affected him because we never explore it. You just kind of have to make your own assumptions. But the movie presents it in a way to think that, like, Mike Banning is disgraced and, like, almost like he's given up on America. Because here's two things that, that make me think that. For one, why is this movie set on July 5th, which is a very specific and odd day. It makes me think that they're using it because it's, like... I don't know, maybe it's like the least patriotic day of the year because it's after 4th of July. But also, there's like a throwaway line where someone's like, hey, Mike, you barbecue? And he's like, I just stayed in. So like, Mike is so down on America and on himself that he didn't even celebrate the 4th of July. Wow. Yeah, and they also set up, like, maybe his personal life is also suffering because... Uh, because he's like not paying attention to his wife during his like morning routine, but that goes nowhere. That's it's nothing. in that one scene, and then it seems like their relationship is totally fine the rest of the movie. And the rest of the movie, like, is the wife going to be in danger? But nope, she <laughs> never is. I can't even remember what was her one other scene in the movie. <laughs> She's just like watching the events unfold on TV or something. She has a couple well, scenes, but she's not really doing anything in them. She's just like in a hospital because she's a doctor. Yeah. And yeah, she's watching the news sometimes. And then sometimes she's talking to Mike on the phone. She's like, be careful. He's yeah. like, I got to do it for fucking America. <laughs> okay, so yeah. that I think that establishes Mike pretty well. We don't really know what he does, but I don't care. It's not super important. Um, it, there is the funny part where... Um, the terrorists are like blowing up all of Washington DC and because Mike has a dust job, he's just like sitting there <laughs> looking at his computer. He has like peek out the window. Literally like every other secret service agent in the whole world is running around shooting at, at, at exactly this moment. But he's the one guy who just has the boring office job where he doesn't even pay attention to what's going on. 
right? Does any – okay, um, this is probably a question for you, Sean, because I definitely don't remember. Uh, remember how this – the North Korean threat comes into play. Do you remember the exact details of that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's the big scene with, uh, with our favorite character, uh, <laughs> Vice President Charlie Rodriguez. Oh, Mike Pence. Mike Pence. The vice president in this movie looks just like Mike Pence. It's freaky. Didn't he? He had the same haircut, but he's Charlie Rodriguez. Charlie Rodriguez. Um, There's like a tension between um, him and I want to say Melissa Leo's Secretary of Defense character because they're uh, inviting over the South Koreans to talk about tensions at the border with North Korea, and. this is all a ruse because one of the South Korean diplomats is secretly a North Korean mega terrorist. <laughs> and there's yeah, a scene like way later on in the movie when, uh, like, uh, I don't know, I don't know what that guy's job is or who that actor was. Some nerd in the command room is like, "We never thought that he would be in the South Korean government." When he's like explaining who this guy is. Um, so it's like a it's a great twist, I guess. Okay, does this set us up well for the sweet jet attack on Washington D.C.? I think so. Okay, so yeah, a sweet jet that can stop all other jets and missiles, uh, in basically invades by itself Washington D.C. I don't know how North Korea pulled this off because as far as I know, North Korea is a nation. They have nuclear weapons, but they struggle in most departments. Yet they have a jet that like you can fire like a shitload of missiles at it and then it'll shoot like 50 fire fiery missiles out of it like a burning phoenix or something. It's crazy. It almost looks like it has like mech superpowers and it's destroying everything, including the Washington Monument. And uh, how do we feel about that CGI, guys? bad yeah it doesn't look good <laughs> they use it in a really like tasteless way of doing like a riff on 9-11 i guess because <laughs> it like crashes into it and it starts going down it doesn't go down all the way i guess but still and then uh, yeah i don't know just see it all the civilians get shot for no reason not only um, shot, but you get that CGI a... blood splatter that shoots out of them when they get shot. Yeah, that was all kind of a bummer for me. <laughs> that was a lot like the the blood splatter in the Expendables, where it's like, do you need to add that digital blood? It doesn't yeah. look good. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure they hired. I'm sure they hired the same guy to do it. It's a specialty. Yeah. You guys want blood to explode out of people? I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't put a lot of time into it, but like. He knows to use a lot of it. Gets the job done. He gets the job done. He's cheap. Really also, wrong. clearly nobody put any thought into like who these North Korean people are and what they are trying to accomplish and why they're trying to accomplish it. Like the uh, the main bad guy has his own motivations, but the two pilots who like execute the what would be the worst terrorist attack in american history (laughs) like don't say they're just ice cold terminators like they just stare out the window even when they get shot down and are about to crash there's a shot inside the cockpit and they're just like are stoically staring ahead as the plane explodes around them it's because you know they're bad the movie well if they're really bad you should have them like laughing or something right (laughs) instead of just not caring 
I guess they're, I would have instead really of like just having two mannequins flying the plane. They're just doing their job, Sean. Uh, did they blow down the gate to the White House? Not. I don't need to know every detail, but I'm trying to remember how all the uh, North Korean terrorists who are disguised as just regular people get into the White House. It must be tied to the jet in some way, but I don't remember. The jet was shooting down like Secret Service people around the White House. Okay, so it was just like making an opening for maybe it was just like a bomb because there's definitely some bomber guys hanging yeah, out, and there, there's some there trucks. Were that, oh yeah, of course, with the very memorable explosion where Gerard Butler is just lifted straight up into the air. Okay, I'm really glad you touched on that because that's my favorite part of the entire movie. I actually rewound that part because uh, Gerard Butler by this time he's noticed, you know, because there's explosions everywhere that shit's going down. So he gets to the White House and he sees a guy with a backpack. Um, with some sort of bomb or device in it, and he runs over there. He, well, he kills one guy, and then he runs over, and this other guy is getting ready to blow himself up, and Gerard Butler turns, and then, like, instead of getting blown away, he, like, does a bunny hop in the air, and there's, like, an explosion behind him. <laughs> it's like it's like he jumped on a trampoline, and there's just an explosion behind him. It's really cool. I mean, I don't know if it's cool, but it's funny. <laughs> and... Uh, I guess around that point, yeah, guys just start funneling in and just wiping out all the uh, Secret Service because they suck. They don't. They're not. They're not ready for this. Uh, but Gerard Butler also sneaks in and he's just like picking guys off, picking guys off. Eventually makes his way in, and that's um, from this point on. I don't want to. I don't want to keep going. We don't have to keep going with the plot. But then the movie becomes basically Die Hard in the White House, which I think is a great elevator pitch for a movie. But for, and it very much follows a lot of diehard beats. But I think there's some big problems with why it doesn't work in this movie. I think specifically character. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I'd love to talk about some of the characters in this movie. Does sure. that sound? Yes. Okay. Let's knock I, out. I, I yeah. Think yeah. We should also mention that, like, sort of like Air Force One, his hijinks are cross-cut with the Speaker of the House and his squad of people who are like uh, analyzing what's going on and trying to decide the best course for the country right i guess we should um i mean we'll get to it but like yeah like there's the control room and morgan freeman who's the speaker of the house becomes the man in charge as uh i guess i should mention that benjamin asher is taken hostage in like this little control bunker deep in the white house um by this guy named king yeah the diamond face guy from james bond which, when you told me that, it blew my mind. It's like, that guy's been a supervillain twice. Wasn't he <laughs> a also North Korean the villain in the first Fast and Furious movie? You're, you're goddamn right yeah. he is. <laughs> Very ultimate bad guy. Is. Very accomplished villain. And we'll talk about him more as we talk about characters. But let's knock off some of the lesser ones. Uh, did you guys remember Angela Bassett was in this movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just <laughs> exposition. Yep. That's it. She's there at the beginning in a coffee shop with Gerard Butler. She's in the control room. Oh yeah, that scene. So maybe, maybe Gerard Butler like isn't actually disgraced at all because I remember her being like, "You got to get back out there. You're so good at this." Does Am anyone have? Does anyone have IMDb open? Call. Right. Do you have IMDb? Does it say in the description disgraced? I feel like okay. I yeah, it says the, the the plot synopsis on IMDb reads: When the White House 
is captured by a terrorist mastermind and the president is kidnapped. <laughs> Disgraced former presidential Secret Service agent Mike Banning finds himself trapped within the building. So He's disgraced. He's officially disgraced. <laughs> He's depressed. Maybe there's a throwaway line that we missed where Angela Bass is like, you're disgraced, Mike. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she's in this movie for some reason. Um, Robert Forster is in this movie as a general. I actually oh, yeah. appreciate that. I, Sean, I feel like you he, you got, you laughed at him like swearing at one point. Yeah, he like comes in. He's like, "What the fuck is going on? This is bullshit!" Like he just swears a bunch, that's and then he stops right. talking for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and that's fun. I mean, anyone can do that, but I like Robert Forster. I'm always glad to see that he's still working because he's talented. So, like that. Um, Ashley Judd from the 90s, you mentioned, was in this movie very briefly for some reason. Um, but but someone I really want to talk about. Um, this movie has Oscar winner Melissa Leo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even realize she was in this until the middle. And, and Sean, you're like, oh, it's Melissa Leo. And I was like, what? She, what? She's, has she been doing anything? Like, her part is basically a glorified extra. Like, she has some scenes later in the movie but it's it it seems like such a waste, and it's it's bizarre to me because it's like, in my eyes, like Melissa Leo is a name. Like we all know who she is. She won an Oscar, especially in 2013. She's at the height of her powers. <laughs> but you you get her for a part where she barely does anything. But she are does you... do the funniest thing in the movie. I mean, I, I thought her one scene where she's like refusing to give up the codes is like kind of cool. It it made her seem like. <laughs> more respectable than president Eckhart because she's getting the shit beaten out of her i guess i mean (laughs) (laughs) they're all getting the shit beat out of them you can't but it's like why get melissa leo you could just get a stunt person for this that's true (laughs) so for me in my mind there's there's just three scenes with her that are burned into my mind obviously there's the scene i'm jumping ahead a bit where she's kind of uh maybe seemingly freed at the end, but they're going to like try to kill her in front of the cameras. There's the scene where she gives an inspirational speech through her arms. Basically her arms are covering her face. I think Sean, you mentioned like, did they ADR or something here? Yeah. They couldn't come up with a speech on the day. (laughs) They're like, just cover your arm and we'll come back in. This is like her big acting moment. And she's like handcuffed and like, you can't see her face. (laughs) It's like, what are, you, what are they doing? But my favorite scene with Melissa Leo is when they're dragging her and she's saying the Pledge of Allegiance. There you go. That's the highlight of the movie for me. Like, like that's the most patriotic thing you could say. Like, it's not even like you could do, like, even singing like the national anthem would make a little more sense. I would still be dumb, but there's something so stupid about like, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Like, those are really powerful words that are worth being your last words. <laughs> well, yeah, because no adult ever says the pledge. <laughs> that's only yeah, something yeah. that's said by children. Something we use to brainwash children. Yeah. <laughs> so bizarre choice. I wonder if that was like in the script or if she's like, I really want some more lines. I'm throwing this out. there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just going to let him drag me. So that when she gets nominated for another Oscar, they can play the clip of her reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, Dylan McDermott is in this movie as Dave Forbes, a Secret Service agent 
who is now working for the bad guys. And why is he working for the bad what guys? Because he's Dylan McDermott. Because he's, he's Dylan McDermott. Exactly. Like, like, I knew he was going to be bad in the first scene I saw him because he just has that face. He just he's looks like he's going to betray you. He's got smug asshole written all over himself. <laughs> but what was he getting out of this deal? Does anyone remember the details of that? I don't remember. I feel like he was just like, America's fucked. We need to like start over, basically. He didn't say that, but in, in so many words, he just like, it sounded like he lost his faith in America, so he's just trying to pick a side, the winning side, basically. But I never really saw what was in it for him at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the smaller details, like motivations, <laughs> are kind those of, aren't important. They're kind of skimmed over in this movie. And even like his his um, final scene with Mike Banning is incredibly disappointing because he he plays the trick, which is another Die Hard trick where, um, well I mean I, I guess I compared to Die Hard because it reminded me of the scene in Die Hard where Hans Gruber runs into um, John McClane and you and John McClane hasn't seen Hans Gruber so he pretends to be Clay, and in this movie Mike Banning runs into Dave or whatever the fuck his name is and. Um, he doesn't know that Dave has betrayed everybody, so he still thinks they're on the same side. But they play that up for like 30 seconds, and then he gives up. <laughs> they have a knife fight. They have a knife fight. There's multiple knife fights in this movie, which aren't super interesting. And then it's weird because in Dylan McDermott, Dave, whatever the fuck his name is, final moments, um, Mike tells him to like, oh, tell them that you got me. Tell them I'm dead. And he just does it. It's like, okay, I'll just switch back again because I'm going to die. It's, it's just like, this guy never seemed that, like, compelled. Like, it's just like there's nothing ever really driving him. He's just like, he could be easily swayed by either side to do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's an imbecile. He's an imbecile. Yet he still got to be in the uh, on the Secret Service team, despite the fact he didn't try to rescue anybody. Oh, no, no, no. Remember, he was uh, he was supposedly working as private security for South Korea. Oh, well, you mean, no, I mean um, in the beginning of the movie. Is that what he's doing at the beginning of the movie? When, oh, Christmas no, I guess time? in the beginning he's just Secret Service. Yeah. I was just talking about how at the beginning of the movie, there's all these, like, there's all these Secret Service guys, but only Mike Banning is trying to rescue the president. So, I don't know. Everyone else is just like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about, um, I think his name is Rick Yoon as Kang, the super terrorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you guys say that this is a memorable villain or a good performance, or how do we how do we feel about Kang? Uh, it's the best performance in the movie. Probably, that's not yeah. saying much. <laughs> I guess so. He has an interesting delivery. He has a great voice. Like I remember saying, this guy probably does some voiceover for video games because he has a very mm-hmm. strong, deliberate vocal delivery, which I appreciated. And he's got enough. He has enough motivation for me, you know. Just wants to take over America because North Korea hates America. Uh, and I don't know if I want to spoil. Like, who gives a shit? Spoil the end? What am I talking about? Uh, he's his final um, showdown with Mike is incredibly disappointing. It's another knife fight uh, with the <laughs> lamest looking knives. They're like steak knives. They're just steak knives. Yeah, they're not even big knives. And it's funny because um, Kang gets out uh, two knives, but it's like he only gets out two knives so Mike can get one. Like, 
That's the only reason there's two knives in this scene. He, he doesn't need... Like, no guy needs to kill someone with two knives. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, they fight with knives. And at one point, Mike just pushes him down and stabs him in the head. It feels just like... It's such a disappointment. There's nothing satisfying. It's not like in Die Hard when Hans Gruber gets fucking pushed off a building and then is falling in slow motion. That's awesome. But it just... And it's also not like Die Hard in that that final battle takes place in a context where John McClane is so totally exhausted and just out of options. And it's like, oh, he's got this one last trick up his sleeve. Here, like, Gerard Butler just keeps going. Like, he never seems to really be at a disadvantage with anyone. Like, the only time he has to act uh, <laughs> with a situation that's not totally in his control is uh, is is when the, the the giant rocket thing is shooting down all the helicopters and he has to deactivate it before all the helicopters get shot down. That's like the only time he has a time limit or he's in any danger at all. Everything else, he's just going around killing everybody like it's ain't no thing. Ain't no thing. <laughs> yeah, no. You're right. Mike is just, he just loves America so much and it makes, he's just powered by America. That's why he wins. He always wins. Let's talk about Mike. I know we need to talk about the president, but I kind of want to save the president for last because I got some thoughts about the president. So Mike Banning, this is a guy that is in three movies now. So they must think that there's something compelling about him. What does Mike have going for him? He's a secret service agent who used to be an army ranger and therefore he's a badass. (laughs) Also, he says fuck a lot. Yeah, he's he's gritty. I I even wrote down my favorite line of the film when he says, um, uh, "Why don't we play a game of fuck off? You play first, and then he ends like the, the call." That's that's between him and then Kang. Wow, whoa, yeah. that's his cat. That's his yippee kaye. <laughs> like, let's play a game of fuck off. I think there's another scene where. Uh... Maybe Robert Forster's like, I can't tell you that. That's confidential. And he's like, it's, I'm pretty sure it's, I need to fucking know at this point. It's like, get it? He said the F he word. He says fuck, and that makes it cool. <laughs> I think that's what he's got going for him. Yeah, I think I mentioned um, in my letterbox review, and just somewhere, that this is basically John McClane if he had no charisma and no <laughs> catchphrases. Yeah, I mean, the problem with his character is uh, that he's played by Gerard Butler. Who I, I mean, it's, it's part watching. of it. It's, it's part of it. But I think this, there's some easy fixes here. And I think, again, just look to Die Hard. Now, we all know that John McClane is like relatable to every man. And it's not just because he's got jokes. I mean, that's a big part of it. And dialogue. There's little touches before he gets into the tower that help you sympathize with John McClane. Like, he's afraid of flying. Like, he doesn't feel comfortable on the plane. Or when he gets into L.A. and he's taking the limo, he's like, this is weird. I don't belong in L.A. It's those little touches. But what do we get from Mike before he goes into the White House? We get him squeezing that ball, being bored at his desk. That's it. We don't really have anything to work with. We don't know anything about him. He doesn't listen to his girlfriend. He doesn't listen to his girlfriend. The mark of any relatable guy. And he didn't celebrate the 4th of July. Yeah. He stayed in. That's all we have. It's just little touches. That's all you need to make an action guy relatable. And they do nothing. So I don't know if it's entirely Gerard Butler's fault. I don't know that anyone could have pulled this off. I don't know. Let's say, hypothetical scenario, this movie stars Liam Neeson. Do you think it's different? Or do you think the character is still just as bad? Yeah, he's probably about as bad. 
Uh, probably about as bad. Like Gerard Butler isn't the most talented guy in the world, but he he's I don't know if anyone can do much with this. Uh, maybe maybe in the other movies they find something and they kind of build on something like maybe he becomes more developed they have to right there's two sequels now there has to be something um, to Mike Fanning I, I don't know I feel like a flat character arc is fine in these types of movies because they're not about character growth they're about overcoming an impossible obstacle uh, the problem is like I was saying earlier, he just doesn't have any trouble overcoming what should be the impossible obstacle of an exploded White House full of uh, North Korean terrorists. I, I, I like like I don't think John McClane is changing much in the Die Hard sequels. I haven't seen all of them. I've seen most of them though. He's pretty much the same guy, and that's fine. Like, yeah, I I don't I don't want him to like learn about. Racism, I guess, if, if we're going with the third Die Hard movie. <laughs> it's it's fine if he's just uh, an affable, everyman-type cop who steps up in a big way when the when the chips are down. Yeah. Um, but but what the, then the story has to have all these cool action set pieces and, and exciting situations, and it just doesn't have any of those. The third one might. The thing with the drones is pretty cool in the trailer. I have to believe that this gets better, but I saw London Has Fallen got way worse reviews than this movie. <laughs> if, we, if we're talking Rotten Tomato scores, I think this sits at about a 49%. Um, and London Has Fallen is at 26 uh, oh, wow. Angela's Fallen has not come out, at least. It, it'll probably be out about the time this podcast comes out, so we'll know by then. Um, also, uh, Another fun fact, I saw that um, White House Down has a 50%, so maybe that's a little better. Uh, it seems better based off of the trailers. Like, if I compare the trailers to what I've seen of it from Olympus Has Fallen. It, it seemed more fun. I mean, I guess I, the the buddy dynamic that seems to be in White House Down seems a little more fun than, all like, all these really serious guys being serious in separate rooms. <laughs> Yeah, um, and not having any relationship at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't seen White House Down, but at least from the trailer, there's there's some jokes, uh, particularly from the president. Yeah. And in this, there's literally one joke. I wrote it down. Like we were watching the movie, and there's the joke, and I was like, "Okay, uh, oh, Sean, you're like, there it is. There's the joke." And uh, it's near the end when like the house is all wrecked, and he's take, guiding the president out out of the house, and. Um, Mike Banning says, sorry about the house. And Benjamin Asher says, don't worry, it's insured. <laughs> and, which, and which we just wanted to laugh about because of the coincidence of uh, it being another movie with Aaron Eckhart making a lame joke at the end. And there's a clapping. And, 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 but this time it did happen in July. <laughs> That's true. Where in Sully, it didn't happen in July. If no one knows what we're talking about, you have to go watch Sully to understand this joke. Sully's bizarre ending. Okay, so let's talk about Benjamin Asher because he's the character I actually had the biggest problem with because he is a non-character to the utmost degree. There is nothing. He is blank. He is a mannequin. Yeah, it's like it's like with the president, you could either make him like 
you know, uh, an affable, like every man that, you know, everybody in America wants to be and respect. Pullman. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, you could make him like a weaselly, like sniveling, like fraud, but they don't do either. He's just like a regular guy that kind of cracks under pressure, but like no one gives him shit about it. That's okay. That's the thing is his whole arc, this movie, because they don't really touch on the dead wife thing after the beginning from his point of view, uh, or John's point of view from anyone's point of view. It doesn't matter. Um, his whole arc, his whole arc in this movie is the North Koreans need to get these three codes so that they can detonate every nuclear bomb in the United States. And the other two people that have the codes, he's like, just tell them, just tell them, you don't need to die because there's no way they're going to get my code. And then <laughs> they use a computer program to get his code. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, well, fuck you then. Fuck this whole thing. They, it didn't have that climactic moment of him either dying to protect the code or them forcing him to crack and give up the code. Instead, it's just like, oh, we, we just uh, we just keep the, we, we turn the computer on. That was bizarre. And then, again, even after that, you have another opportunity for the president to actually matter in this movie. When Kang is fighting um, Mike, the president has uh, been wounded at this point, mortally wounded, to the point where you think he might die. And there's like a, a countdown going on in the control room because there's um, all these missile silos all over the America are going to blow up. And you're thinking like, oh, well, the president can like go in and like fix that before he dies. But then that doesn't happen. <laughs> Like, he just lays there on the ground. He just lays there on the ground, and then Mike goes in and does it. That's the president. And then the, and then he guides the president out, and he lives, and he says the joke. That's, that's Benjamin Asher's arc. <laughs> terrible, terrible character. I like his name, though, Benjamin Asher. Benjamin Asher. It's like he's, a, he's rising from the ashes of the White House. <laughs> I remember we noticed this watching the movie. All these characters have names that you feel like you have to say the whole name every time. Because I, I can't call him Benjamin, and President Asher sounds weird too. It's got to be Benjamin Asher. Just like it's got to be Mike Banning. You know, going through all these characters, I totally skipped over Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Morgan Freeman is uh, Speaker of the House Alan Trumble? Trumble? Something like that. Yeah. I should know. They put all the characters' names on the screen when they're <laughs> introduced. The like it's a documentary. Uh, yeah, Alan Trumbull. Uh, and he's making all the calls, and he's fine. Morgan Freeman's just doing his thing. Um, I think he does a decent job. The only thing I remember is him like having to make a hard decision, so he asks for some coffee first, and is very specific on what he wants at his coffee. Uh, but he's in all of them, so... And he's the president in the third one, which is also why I thought Aaron Eckhart was going to die. But I guess not. Um, when do you think the last time Morgan Freeman was really, like, invested in a project was? Because this is definitely, like, one of his picking up a paycheck, but still, like, you know, he's, he's giving an effort, I suppose. So he won an Oscar for Million Dollar Baby. Is there any post- is there any post-Million Dollar Baby performances that are pretty good? I mean, he seems like he's having fun in the Dark Knight movies, but he's not okay. in that much. So maybe... Uh, I don't know, Invic- yeah. Invictus? <laughs> well, when did that come out? That was 2009. Okay. Oh, wow. It was that long ago. Where he was okay. playing Nelson Mandela. I'm sure that took some research. 
I'm sure he yeah. has plenty of respect for Nelson Mandela. Maybe that was Sure, it. I think that's that's a good choice. Because, yeah, it definitely seems like recent Morgan Freeman is Morgan Freeman basically is playing himself. Like, I'm sure he doesn't even take out his earring for most of his performances. <laughs> I mean, he's old, too. Like, I, I don't blame him for just like i'm i'm surprised he still works as much as he does yeah i guess it's more of just a question of like why why doesn't he just retire i'm sure he's got plenty of money <laughs> yeah just take the gene hackman around you know mm-hmm. you don't need to keep doing <laughs> white the house has fallen movies or whatever the <laughs> fuck it's called a book yeah okay so i think we got through most of the cast that matters uh and this next uh segment i want to touch on is going to be pretty difficult but i want you guys to tell me is there anything in this movie that you liked I like the part where Melissa Leo says the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I really, I really do like that part. It's really funny. Why do you like it? Because it's funny. Uh, yeah, it's like um, it's a very idiotic version of patriotism, which that tickles my funny bone. Okay, tickles your funny bone. I will say that. Not all of the action was terrible. Uh, some of it was passable, but I think the movie did a good job of getting me interested t- at the at the beginning because not at the beginning beginning, but like I was excited that Mike was going into the White House by himself to take on all these guys, and he was like running through yeah. the White House lawn shooting guys. It's like, oh my gosh, he's gonna have to do all of this himself. Like, I was invested a little bit. Uh, so that it had some okay action. It had some good suspense early on. And I honestly didn't hate Mike. He was boring, but I, I was rooting for him. Like, I wasn't like, fuck you, Mike. Like I was behind him. Uh, I don't know if I was fuck you, Mike. I just like, didn't care. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm having trouble thinking of other things that I liked. I'm already regretting the two stars I gave it on letterbox. It seems like it might be. It just felt, I don't know, just like, I guess there was a lot of action in it and not a lot of it was inventive or fun in any way. I mean, it definitely reminds me of like the post Dark Knight era when action movies got like really gritty, which I don't know if many movies other than the Dark Knight movies really pulled that off that well. It just kind of saps the fun out of a genre that yeah, I think should but, be fun. But I think what's weird is in this case, it feels like it's that as a veneer slopped on top of a very 90s action movie. <laughs> it's true. Everything, like, a lot of things like, about this movie feel like they should be in a 90s movie. <laughs> the touchstones we have are like Air Force One and Die Hard and maybe like the early days of 24. Independence Day. I guess Day. it's like into the 2000s. Independence Day. Yeah, it's like none of this feels contemporary no except for the fact that there's cg blood splatter yeah you know just teaching you to love america because we forgot how to love america uh i i guess i would say this movie for the most part aside from some cheap effects is mostly competently made for its budget like it makes some. It makes mostly makes sense. It fits together like it's a legit movie for an in, an independent studio. Like that's the thing. It's like I was watching it. And I was like, this isn't like bad, bad. This is just really low effort in terms of like they're doing the bare minimum and like like they're, they're all pros. Like 
for the most part, but it's not aspiring to be anything great. Yeah, you know, it's, I just feel like those kinds of movies are the most depressing to me. Where everybody's <laughs> just going through the motions. I think something that's like bad, bad, maybe tries something a little more out there that just completely doesn't work. But like this is just, it's just going through the motions that other movies have already gone through, and yeah, it's just. I think really, yeah, yeah, I think get a lot of joy out of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many good hostage movies that exist, and like I, I, get, I get the impression that this movie's like we're different because our terrorists just kill the hostages wantonly. They, but that, that, that sucks. It's just boring. <laughs> I am interested. Had they gone in like a crazy direction, how it would have turned out if it would have been more interesting. Like I would love to see the Asylum Films version of this movie, which I'm actually shocked doesn't exist. I'm shocked that. Asylum Films, which is a studio famous for making mockbusters, didn't do their own White House down knockoff with like Cato Kalin as the president or something. <laughs> Here, here's the fun thing: if you guys, if you, if you had to make an Asylum Films version of White House Down, what else could you call it? Ooh. What could be another title for this? Sixteen hundred pone. Maybe something like DC has fallen or DC down. Yeah. That's and it's good. got like uh yeah, just like Eric Roberts and like the like D listers and stuff. But I, I feel like if Asylum Films had done one, I bet it would have been like crazy funny enough to maybe it'd actually be better than this. I don't know. Because yeah, this is just playing it totally boring and totally safe. Totally milk toast. Um I don't Do even you guys know the uh the Metal Wolf Chaos series of games. I don't think so. They're these Japanese games. Uh, where you play as the president of the United States Whoa. trying to stop the evil vice president of the United States and you have a giant mech that you <laughs> use to do that. And that's the kind of stuff that I want. Yeah, where's that movie? That sounds amazing. <laughs> wow. I'm sure somebody scooped up the rights to that, right? It's just too good of an idea not to be a movie. You know, I think those games are made by From Software, the mm-hmm. like Dark Souls people. So maybe interesting. Okay, I don't even know if I need to touch on things we didn't like in this movie. Uh, I think we talked there, about most of them. I think we talked about them by talking about the movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just boring American propaganda movie. It really lulls in the middle. Like I got up to go to the bathroom and I was like starting to fall asleep. It was like. <laughs> Just boring Jar Butler just wandering around, talking to people, but no, no funny dialogue, no jokes. Just I guess oh, we didn't talk about there's a kid in this uh, that really likes Mike, uh, I guess, because Mike taught him all the secret places in the White House, which they do use. I was kind of disappointed that Mike didn't sneak into the White House through one of his secret passageways. Uh, but whatever, yeah. it doesn't matter. They used them, and they're shooting through the walls, and I was pretty impressed that Mike actually managed to kill some people while behind a wall shooting at it. Mm-hmm. And then none of them could hit him. <laughs> but they all had machine guns. There's like five of them. Yeah, he had a yeah, pistol. That makes sense. That checks out. And he's carrying a child, too. Yeah. So. He's just a badass. Yeah, he is. <laughs> that's that, that's anyone who likes this movie's defense. He's just a badass, though. He just it's like that's why I like these movies. He's just a badass. Are you guys like even like vaguely interested in what Angel has fallen is like? 
No. Uh, well, I do like that it's a family affair because it's the third one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's got his dad in it. Who's his we dad? Mean, like, it's oh, Nick that, Nolte. Is that Nick Nolte? Yeah. I saw yeah. That. You think there will be a point where Nick Nolte just like... <laughs> Like, it'll be impossible to even hear him. His voice will be so gruff. He'll just be like... <laughs> like, we can't put you in movies anywhere. I can't understand. Yeah, I think we got there like 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think... I always think I always think back to that, um, to when he's turned into the Absorbing Man in, in Hulk, and he's just doing voiceover work at that point. And I'm like, what's he saying? He's like... <laughs> As he's like a giant cloud. <laughs> It's like, man, that cloud sounds angry. Don't know what it's saying, but man. That has always been the trippiest scene in any movie I've ever watched. Yeah, dude, remember? Seeing it in theaters, and every time I've watched it at home since, it's like fucking nuts. It's weird to think there's a movie where Nick Nolte turns into the elements. (laughs) You remember the part where it's like... I've I've never seen Ang Lee's Hulk. So in in Hulk, Nick Nolte plays um, Eric Bana, um, his dad... And uh, he gets um, hit with the gamma radiation, but what it does to him is he like starts absorbing the elements, so he can like turn into rock or water and all this stuff. And they have a battle where he's like turning into elements. It's really weird. <laughs> I mean, first of all, the setup for that scene is: hey, we caught Nick Nolte and we caught Eric Vanna. You know, it'd be fun is if we brought them into the same place and let them have a conversation with each other, uh, even though the government hates both of them. So they like sit down. And they just talk about how they have mommy issues, and then the, the fight scene is fucking nuts, Colin. Like, there's a part where they're like, it, it's like time freezes or something, and like the camera's moving around, and there's like multiple hoaxes. Like, like it's like a comic panel thing, I guess, where like you see like each stage of the action of Hulk fighting a fucking like wave. It's so weird, man. <laughs> I think you're gonna. Someone's gonna need to pick Hulk at some point, so you can discover the greatness of Hulk. Column. Yeah, I'm sure you've at least seen that great scene where Josh Lucas explodes into a comic book page. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Okay, so I don't know. Does anyone else have any burning things they want to talk about um, in regards to Olympus Has Fallen? Um. Do you guys prefer Dylan McDermott or Dermot Mulrooney? Oh, Dylan. Uh, oh, shit. I almost said it wrong. Dermot Mulrooney. Definitely. Yeah, yeah me too. Because he usually plays like a nice guy as opposed to a dick. Yeah. Or like a laid back guy. <laughs> he's super laid back. Oh, I. I Dermot I, Mulrooney is in New Girl, right? That's that one? Yeah, he's on New Girl. Okay. Yeah, that one. All right. I wanted to mention one more thing. It's just a small goof, but I, I don't usually catch goofs in movies. And I pointed this out to Sean. There's a scene near the end of the movie where Mike's talking to Kang um, uh, through like a computer monitor screen. And uh, when we when we're seeing the um, the scene from the bad guy's point of view, uh, Mike is completely like he's looking straight ahead. But then when we cut back to Mike at like a, a con- control panel somewhere else in the White House, he's looking up at a camera. So he's looking up, but whenever we see him on the screen, he's looking straight ahead. So his eye line is totally different. It goes back and forth, back and forth, and I don't know how they messed that up. So. Um. Just a goof. One of John's goofs. That's going to be a segment on the pick. John's <laughs> goofs. <laughs> Just like I also had to share the joke in the movie and my favorite uh, 
what else did I share? I don't know. Well, the goof is the important one. <laughs> John's goof. Okay, so I don't think any of us would recommend this. And I don't think we'll ever see the other ones. Though I, I am kind of interested maybe seeing White House Down someday. Just to compare. I, I just want to see Training Day. <laughs> oh, I guess that's, that's the, bit, the bigger takeaway. It's like, why haven't any of us seen Training Day? <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess we'll move on to what will be the next pick. Colin, you are our picker. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the picker. That's my introduction for you. That's American my picker. So on our next episode, we will talk about the movie that Colin picks at the end of this episode. So if you have multiple picks, you know, we can weigh in on that. Or if you just have one, we're doing it. So mm. I didn't I think know, about doing, I didn't think about multiple picks. I guess that's how you guys did it on stream police, but yeah, I mean, we put in, well, like, I mean, if, if you were undecided about, like, if you had two movies and you're like, I don't know which one I should I should pick, and we can always help. That's the power of the pick, Colin. Yeah. You, can, you get to steer the ship however you I want. I feel like you you just got to, you know, commit to one. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I'll just pick a movie that I just bought on Blu-ray. Um, it's uh, A Face in the Crowd. Ilya Kazan's movie from 1957. Um, I know, not as goofy as this one, but weirdly also a very American movie, <laughs> kind of about politics. Um, and I think there will be some interesting like behind-the-scenes stuff to talk about since I feel like this was shortly after Ilya Kazan was you know, involved in the, the communist you know, McCarthy stuff with hollywood in the 50s um obviously i haven't done that much research on it but i guess we'll get into it in that episode yeah, I feel like is, this the, is this the andy griffith movie yeah it's got andy griffith i think walter matthau is also in it a young walter matthau um I don't know, a movie that like it wasn't a big oscar contender or anything when it came out but i feel like it's like definitely become more respected as the years have gone on I have seen it once, I don't know, it was at least five years ago. I'd like to take a look at it again, especially sure. considering the uh, sort of media-saturated state of our politics these days. All right, uh, awesome. So yeah, that's my pick. Sounds like a better time than Hopefully. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to pick London as well. Ugh, heavy. <laughs> I think we just have to cancel this podcast. Forever. For one episode. We watched the movie so bad that it made us cancel it after yeah, one episode. I, I don't think we could come back from <laughs> two of these things. Uh, but if you want to keep uh, listening to the pick and hope that someday we do talk about London Has Fallen, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mildly Pleased, or you can go to our website and go to Mildly Pleased. And find some of our other podcasts. I think Rock Talk is the only other one we're doing on a semi-regular basis. I mean, that's the reason we're doing the pick is so we're back and we can maybe start doing this on... I don't know if we'll do it weekly, but we'll see what happens. So uh, stay tuned. I don't know how to end this. How should we end this? Um, I think that's it. I guess if you want to rent a face in the crowd... It's available on most. Oh yeah, so you can you can platforms. you can pretend you're listening in on the conversation. And you're like, I know what yeah. they're talking about. Yeah. 
I, I know we can prep you. We'll give you the to, time to just streaming now, but we'll probably mostly do streaming movies from here on out. Tell you guys, Stream Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> Stream War. We're gonna need a theme for this too. It'll be interesting to see what we pick. I hope it was a good one. Uh, we'll see you next time. The end. Oh.